This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 168 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And Bridget, Scott, there is absolutely nothing to discuss this week's episode. Um, I joke, there's so much to discuss. Uh, there's so much news league-wide, um, massive blockbuster trades. The East is absolutely stacked uh and we'll get to all those moves the 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 leafs have really really altered their their identity with really going with some you know playoff caliber players playoff built players tampa bay is always strong the rangers added some huge names the devils added timo meyer and the bruins added some guys too but to keep it local since february 14th the bruins are eight and oh so they are just rolling, even when they don't play their best. They're rolling. Last night on a back-to-back uh, against Calgary, they didn't play their best. They needed 54 saves on 57 shots against from Lena Solmark to pull out the 4-3 overtime win, and I think we'll start there. So Bridget Scott, how are you guys? And initial thoughts on last night's victory. I'm, I'm good, and not only did they win without playing their best, they won playing basically their worst. Like, you could not look worse than the Bruins did for most of that game Tuesday night, especially the first two periods. I mean, they're getting outshot 39 to 9 after two periods and somehow have a 2 to 1 lead. Uh, Linus Allmark obviously completely stole the game. You know, one Saturday, he makes history by scoring the first goal in Bruins history. Tuesday night, he makes history by setting the franchise record for most saves in a regular season game with 54. Uh, and especially those first two periods was just standing on his head. Then he makes six more saves in overtime, all of them on quality chances before, uh, you know, Bergeron sets up McAvoy for the winner at the buzzer. But yeah, I mean, it, the Bruins got outshot 57 to 20. The It is the most they have ever been outshot in a game in franchise history. 
Like that's crazy. It's crazy for the best or one of the best Bruins regular season teams in franchise history to end up with that record as well. Uh, Almar, it was a career high in saves for him too. And we know like that's a guy who played on some really awful Buffalo Sabres teams. And yet it's this team, this awesome team where he faces more shots than he's ever faced. Um, Yeah. It was, you know, second night of a back to back and four game road trip and all that. So you understand why they looked so bad, but just amazing that they're still able to find a way to get two points. Yeah. They were outshot in every single period, including overtime and not just by like a small margin, like the first period they're outshot 19 to five second period, 20 to four third period was a little closer, but like it, it's just insane how badly they were getting outshot and outplayed um, by a team that's, pretty desperate right now for points um they hadn't been getting points they 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 needed to be playing better um they're right outside the playoff picture right now um but it's it's interesting to me and I this this might just be my opinion but uh if you don't have the luxury of going Swayman against Edmonton and then Allmark second night and he faces this many shots against Calgary like Allmark is not fresh enough to win that game and to do that. Like Allmark is not stopping 54 shots if he played the night before because the rest of the team looked tired from the Edmonton game. And then if you if you were in net and quick turnaround, you now you're playing back-to-back nights if you don't have the luxury of Swayman there to, to take half the workload, do you really think he makes 54 stops? Unlikely, no. It's uh, it's it's luxury that this Bruins team has, and it's just like a, it's been so impressive what they've done in the last couple of weeks. I mentioned the you know record since since Valentine's Day, really. Um, and they've had a lot of travel, right? It's been a, a mo- the majority of those wins were actually on the road. You're down in Dallas. You're down in Nashville. You're flying cross country to Seattle. You're moving up to Vancouver. You're moving over to you know Edmonton and Calgary, and you have two new guys who were in Washington for the first 80% of that, of that trip. And, you know, it's not easy on them and they're trying to get acclimated to a new team. But to your point about Allmark and Swayman and, and the two of them allowing each other to have the appropriate rest to, and energy to kind of be, play at, a, at an elite level each time they're in between the pipes is very important for this team. And it's, <clears throat> it's like, can Allmark will be 95 years old in a rocking chair with his with his grandkids or maybe great grandkids, and he's gonna be talking to them about the great the great trip out west. Where, yeah, I mean, yeah, like how like how do you possibly top, um, you know, a fifty four save performance? Well, like the week before, or not even the week before, a few games, the last game, he scores a goal. It, it's like the week that he's had is just a microcosm of this amazing season that he's having that the team's having and it, 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 i'm ashamed of myself to sit here and be like yeah like a, a year and a half ago when don sweeney made that trade for all mark i was just like not against it but i just i was just like i just don't get it because i just felt the team at the time had more pressing needs in, in free agency but all mark has been like such an amazing ad and such a phenomenal addition by don sweeney and this past week has just really, really um, magnified that for for me, Bruins fans, hockey fans. Like, it's been Vasilevsky and um, 
Shesterkin and Allmark just has been flying under the radar despite having the league statistic uh, edge in all goalie categories. But hopefully now, after this past week, his name will be in lights a little bit more going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly pulling away in the Vezina Trophy race. And, you know, I thought, I remember like we had this conversation a while back. Like I thought if anything, it was going to swing the other way down the stretch at one point because I knew the Bruins wanted to split time and get him rest. And I figured at some point, you know, someone else like Connor Hellebuck or Ilya Sorokin, because they're just playing so many more games, would pass him. Not in the numbers, not in save percentage and goals against average, but just on like sheer value because they would be playing so many more games. But it's like, okay, but Almar, like part of that would have had to have been Almar coming down to earth to some extent. And one of those guys, like, you know, blasting off into the into space and like that hasn't happened like Allmark has just stayed incredibly dominant and is lapping the field in most categories like he's he's now now 31 wins he's three ahead of anyone else save percentage he's eight points better than anyone else and and goals against he's like 0.2 goals per game better and second place in those categories is Philip Gustafson out in Minnesota, who's actually played even fewer games than Allmark. So, like, you can kind of cross him off out of the Vezina conversation. And it's like the gap back to, you know, the next group led by Ilya Sorokin is even bigger. So, it's like, it's just crazy what he's doing. And, you know, I just don't see a case for anyone else. Even the advanced stats favor him. He's first and goal save above expected on Money Puck. Um, you know, now the talk is like, is he even going to get into the Hart Trophy discussion? And, you know, I can't in good conscience, like, say he's the favorite there because Connor McDavid is on pace for 150 points. And that's just insane and extremely hard to argue against. But I wouldn't be surprised if Valmark finishes second in voting if he keeps this up. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know who else you'd really make the case for. Uh, ahead of him other than McDavid. It's really impressive that he's had the one that you can tell he's above everyone else. um, Isn't just like the averages. It's the fact that he has more wins than anyone. And he's been splitting time with another goalie. It's like if he had the workload of like an an 80% workload or whatnot, rather than um, more of an even split, can you imagine like how many wins he would have or, or it could go the other way and it could be, he wouldn't be looking as good. The other numbers wouldn't be as good because he's not as rested. So it could go either way. So you don't know whether or not his numbers would be necessarily better. Um, sure, it'd have more wins, but uh, the fact that he's able to stay fresh, I think also helps his other stats um, in terms of like the averages and save percentage because he's he's just not 100% worn out um, at the edge of, you know, be like feeling the the workload. And I think that kind of gets to one of the questions that we got Maria from Watertown sent us a question about um, how do we feel about the workload that Allmark has? Um, and is it a concern? Uh, so I, I think I know you guys answer, but um, Brian, if you want to start. I'm not concerned, Maria. Um, it's uh, it's not really an issue to me. The Montgomery has a great feel for between between Montgomery and, and and goalie Bob, I think they have um, they know exactly what they're doing 
um, at ice level. And because of what we've talked about so far on, on this, this podcast today, it's like um, you have just two really like kind of world-class goalies. I mean, Swayman obviously needs to, I mean, they both need to prove themselves over a longer term uh, to, to get those accolades. But, but this season in a, in a, in a, under a microscope, the two of the you know top goalies in the world, really um, top 10, both of them. And when you have that luxury, the Bruins will feel no pressure to, to ride one guy, not to mention they're not in a situation where, you know, they're, they're vying for a wild card spot. And then it's, it's like a game to game. Oh, who gives us the best chance to win? No, I mean, this team is on pace to potentially have the best regular season record of all time in the league's history. So um, I personally am not, I'm not concerned about it. Uh, Scott, how about you? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned about Elmark. I'm not concerned about the goalies. The, the second part of Maria's question was, you know, or anyone else. I would say the goalies are probably the ones I'm least concerned about since they are going to more or less alternate starts. There'll probably be a few times where uh, Elmark gets back-to-back starts and maybe even three in a row at some point if, you know, they want to try to start building them up a little bit more as they get closer to the playoffs. I would say it's everyone else that I'm probably, you know, a little more worried about just because we just saw what they looked like on the second night of this back-to-back, which was really not good and, and very tired. Um, and they have – now, this was probably the toughest one just given the travel uh, involved going out west, but they have five more back-to-backs the rest of the way this season. So, you know, they can't – even with the huge points lead that the Bruins have, like you can't just chalk those up as like, well, those are going to be off nights or, you know, quote unquote schedule losses or, Hey, we're just going to need our goalie to steal one. Like you've got to be able to perform pretty well in at least a few of those. And, you know, that's where like, I see that as an opportunity to get now, obviously they already have the rotation on defense, which we're going to get into, but even up front, um, you know, I think that's where assuming health, which is another thing we're going to get to because suddenly they don't have that up front. Um, but at some point, I would like to see them rotate some forwards in and out too because, you know, I thought um, I thought the top line of Martian, Bergeron, DeBrusque didn't have an awful game. They were actually the only Bruins line that was over 50% Corsi. But everyone else looked like pretty beat and spent a lot of time just chasing the puck in the defensive zone. So at some point, I think you, you want to, you know, get guys some rest at some point, build something in. Um, so I, I would don't, I would roundabout way of answering Maria's question, but I'm more worried about the other guys, the goalies I'm fine with. I think they're going to be pretty fresh. Um, to give like individual names of people that I would want to see rested at some point here in the last 22 games would be um, Bergeron, Krejci. Um, we haven't hit on Felino, but I'm talking about the older guys in the lineup. Um, probably need some rest. Bergeron has played all 60 games. Uh, he probably is due to get a little bit of rest. Um, there's a few guys that have played all 60 games, including Felino. Um, which he's not expected to play next game. We haven't had an update on him in terms of how long he might be out, but it was kind of a weird knee-to-knee situation that happened with him in the Calgary game, and he left the ice and didn't come back. So he 
more than likely, even though we don't have an update, um, we assume that he's going to miss a little bit of time. So he, in particular, might need some rest. Like I said, Bergeron. Pasternak, he doesn't look like any different, but he's also played all 60 games. And if I'm the Bruins before the playoffs, I'm getting him some rest too. So I don't know if you guys have any other names you'd throw out there. Well, yeah, I mean, I would just say like, That'll probably come into play the last two weeks of the season. Like I, I feel like they might spot a guy here and there, but I, I think they'll really focus on – like resting a guy right now in late February, early March, that's not like really benefiting him for resting him up for a mid-April round, first round of the playoffs. Like you want to give those guys rest a little bit closer to that time because that's where you get, you get the benefits of it. Now, obviously – you don't want to give them too rusty. You want to make sure that maybe they get a game under their belt before the playoffs start. But I think that's probably where you'll see a lot of the main players not playing um, for non-injury reasons. But I think right now on the back end, like the addition of Orloff, the last three games, you've seen Connor Clifton, Brandon Carlo, and Matt Grizzlick all be a healthy scratch um, during that span. And – that that addition of Orloff will allow the Bruins to kind of keep that rotation going, like Scott mentioned. So I think the decor outside of McAvoy and Lindholm, and even then, if you want to give McAvoy a night off or Lindholm a night off, you have guys that can handle you know top line minutes for a night or two. But I think the defense has a good thing going now. Uh, up front is a little bit more tricky because, like you guys mentioned, there's some injuries up front and uh, and whatnot. You, know, you but, can't just like take one of your top two centers out of the lineup and expect things to go right necessarily. So like true. Take, take Bergeron out and you're like, okay, now what the hell are we going to do? Like they haven't had to deal with that all season. He's been healthy. He's played every single game. So you've never had to be like, okay, what would we do if we didn't have Bergeron in the lineup? So even if you did want to rest him, there's like a cascade effect that happens. Do you move, where do you move Krejci? Where do you move Marshawn? Where like does Zaka go to well, center? That's, that's what I would say. I get in a situation like that. I think you just, you slide Zaka there for for a game or two. I don't think it'd be a, like I don't think there'll be a game necessarily. Well, they'll they'll take Bergeron and Krejci out simultaneously. So as long as you have one of them for a game, Zaka can just fill the other role and and whatnot. Scott, did you have thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, and it's not the worst idea to like get a game of Krejci and Marshan together or Zaka and Marshan or whatever, just so that, you know they have some shifts together. Because look, obviously we know like if God forbid Bergeron got knocked out for the season your Stanley Cup hopes just took an enormous hit. But if Bergeron misses one or two games in the middle of the series, like you want to be able to survive that and, you know, maybe be able to pull one out without him in the lineup. So there's also benefits to like, to doing that um, and getting, you know, one game or two games somewhere uh, in with some different combinations just to, you know, get guys a little bit more comfort who maybe haven't played together very much. Obviously, we know, you know, Bergeron and Marchand are almost never split up. So, uh, you know, like you just want to maybe have a look at that at some point. Yeah. And if you think about the way that the NBA does load management, it isn't just you take the guys out at the end of the season. It's, you know, minutes restrictions. It's guys are playing only two games a week instead of three it's a different way of managing than I think we're used to seeing in the NHL, which is like at the end of the season, when we know like we can rest people, we, we do, but like, like with the Bruins defense, you're going to see a rotation. 
there is is a way for the forward group to probably get that rotation too. But the like I'm saying about the centers, it, it's more complicated. And like you mentioned with Felino being out, like them being a little bit more short staffed because they um, they they don't have as much depth there um, necessarily. This is another situation where you know you add Hathaway and you know he could slot in for Felino. Um, and you know you have a guy, you know, like you have that guy there that you still. I know you traded away Craig Smith, but you have a reliable guy that can take those minutes um, if Felino's going to be out. Yeah, and like when you're healthy, you have you have the options of Hathaway and Felino and Nosick and Greer and you know, Frederick, depending on where you want to slide it. But you have options, like you, if you're healthy and everybody's everybody's playing well, like you have that that extra forward or two that could be in the lineup deservedly so but they have that depth but you raise a good point too Bridget where it's like uh you can also have you can also manage players minutes when they are playing and, and that, that that's one of the benefits this team has too like for example the Jim Montgomery has made a, a a very um concerted effort to put Charlie Coyle on the PK this year and elevate his role in the penalty kill and Jake DeBrus can play penalty kill and other guys like in the past it was like you're really taxing Marshan and Bergeron because they're they're your go-to PKers and up front and and whatnot. But now it's like you you look across the entire forward group. I think outside of Pasternak, maybe Krejci. Like I feel like most Bruins forwards have been given PK time before. Like Zaka's been on the PK. I think even Taylor Hall may have had a, a brief stint there. Maybe not. But my point is, it helps manage minutes for your big guns and you don't have to play them in all situations when they don't have to. And that's something that having, having depth throughout the lineup has as well. Same thing on the back end too, but yeah. Um, Scott, yeah, do you want Montgomery's done ahead. a really good job of that. I said Montgomery's done a really good job of that in game management all season where, you know, if they're up by three or four goals, you'll see Burge run at like 14, 15 minutes at the end of the game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Scott, did you want to um, transition a little bit to Dmitry Orlov's uh, impact? I mentioned earlier, he and Hathaway come over. They traveled from Washington, I believe, to Seattle. And then they, they drove to Vancouver for like yep. a midday game up there. So, look, you don't – even right now, it's like even right now, it's tough to judge these guys because of the travel they've had and they've, they've barely even had a chance to practice and get to know these systems. So I'm not asking for, for a grade on these guys. Um, I think it's going to take some time, and and I think they're going to they're going to hit the ground running for this team. But that said, Orloff with two goals and an assist last night in in um, in, in Calgary, I believe he may have had an assist in uh, in Edmonton as well. He had two in Edmonton, so he's got five. So he's got five points in his first three games with Boston. Yeah. Like you know, it's I, I don't I don't think Bruins fans. Um, necessarily realize and they many might but some might not just how good orlov is he's not like like he's not 
like even a fourth defenseman. Like he was a top pairing defenseman on a Stanley Cup winning team within the last five years, and his play hasn't dropped off really. Like he's and he's like he's a you're 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 looking at your your decor and like Bridget to your question a few weeks ago, you were like, who is the most valuable defenseman on the team this year, McAvoy or, or Lynn Holm? And like McAvoy has forty two points in forty seven games. No, he Lynn was Holm. just like, hold my beer. He was just like, guys, this conversation is over. <laughs> and then what did I do the next day? I ended up um, writing, not the next day, but the next week, I ended up writing an article about how great McAvoy is and, and you know, the, the strides he's taken and all of these different stats that put him in the top, you know, I think top six um, defensemen in the league and, and whatnot. So um, it was more just a conversation and it was it, at the time too. And at points in the season, Lindholm has been really good. Um, hard to argue. Um, but McAvoy just now he's looking completely healthy and he's kind of just like, Bridget, yeah. that was a stupid question. Well, it, it, it wasn't a stupid question. It was valid. It, it, so don't, I, I wouldn't be uh begrudge yourself <laughs> for that. Um, but, but the point is the point that I'm making is so McAvoy has what? 47 points and, uh, no, 42 points in 47 games. Lindholm, 40 points in 60 games. But my point is, Orloff is a bona fide top-pairing guy. Like, you can make the argument that Grizzlick and Carlo are, like, fringe if you really want to do it. I, I don't think that, I don't think on their own Grizzlick's a top-pairing guy and Carlo's a top-pairing guy. I think they can play it, if, depending on who their partner is. But Orloff is a bona fide top-pairing guy. You have three of those guys in your, on your decor now. Anyway, long-winded way of, of, of throwing it back to you guys and just your impressions of him so far uh, in Calgary and in his other couple of games. Yeah, I mean, Orlov's been awesome, like above what was advertised. And, you know, I think that I was thinking about this too, is like you, you always, it's hard to really get like a great judgment on defensemen if you're not watching them every night. So with this trade, it's like, I feel like there's a little bit of, what we saw with the Hampus Lindholm trade last year, where it's like they come over and you actually start to see it every night and notice it. And you're like, Oh, this is why this guy's such a good defenseman. Like, all right, I'm starting to see it. And, you know, both Orlov and Hathaway, I think were fairly quiet the first game, but that was to be expected. You know, like you already covered, they had just traveled. They get in late Friday night and then they're playing Saturday afternoon. Like, I write that one off. And that's also why, you know, people were like, Oh, why, why'd you play him on his offside his first game? And I was like, well, hold on. Like I, I would just write off that first game completely. He plays his strong side on the left with McAvoy's second game. Looks great. Then they put him back on the offside with the Lindholm, which I think is obviously a better fit with him than uh, being next to forward on the third pair. I think Orlov and Lindholm can really feed off each other with how active both of them are. And I think even just in one game together, I think you saw that at times where, you know, they were kind of a little bit interchangeable in terms of sides and you could see like some of the mobility that both of them can bring. But yeah, I mean, the way he gets involved in the offense, uh, take, you know, I don't know what kind of defense Calgary was playing on that, on his first goal, but they kind of just parted the Red Sea for him, and he took it and scored. Uh, second goal looked like a set play off a faceoff, and he just rips a slapper past Dan Vladar. So, uh, you know, and then the nice pass to Zaka on 
the game time goal in the third. But yeah, you're, you know, look, he's not going to be a huge, huge points guy. He's not going to be averaging over a point per game the rest of the way or anything like that. But he has offense in his game. He's a good skater. He's very smart at the puck. He's a good passer, has a good shot, all of that. And, and he's good defensively. So like, yeah, he's at worst, he's the number three defenseman on this team. Like he's better than everyone other than McAvoy and maybe Landholm. Um, yeah, I think so far his, his ice time has been basically right in line with Lindholm. And like, I could see that holding up. I could see both of them, you know, consistently around 20, 21 minutes in the regular season, bump it up by a couple in the playoffs. Like he's going to play a lot. He's going to play in all situations, you know, maybe we'll see about power plays gotten a little bit of time in the second unit. We'll see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just. He's a really good two-way player. He's playoff proven. Um, and I think, you know, fans are probably starting to see that. Whereas, you know, you, you probably knew him a little bit from his time in Washington. Obviously, they had a playoff series against him. But you don't see it all. You don't see, you don't notice him every single shift when he's playing for another team. Yeah, and, and he played 43 games with Washington this year, had three goals. He's played three games with the Bruins has two goals so two of his five goals have come well first of all they came in one game against calgary but his offense i don't i don't know if if we should really expect it to to keep at this pace obviously um he's not going to be having very many two goal games but it was impressive that he had the one um in calgary in the first place but um yeah i do think there's still some feeling out to do with him in terms of where he fits best um there was a bit of a defensive breakdown with him and lindholm at one point it was just a miscommunication that happens um especially when guys are already tired like you mentioned um so i do think there's still more for us to learn about where he fits best in the lineup um and he's a great addition and you know you're the bruins have been able to take Grizzlick out at times, take Clifton out at times. Um, and I think, you know, what we're going to have to keep coming back to this, like, oh, you know, are, is anyone sitting for too long or whatnot? Um, but as of right now, they've been able to try him in different places. I expect he'll be moved even more um, to try to figure out where he fits best or even not even just where he fits best, but can he play or like, can we get him time with ex-defenseman in case this person's normal partner is hurt at some point and just a lot more um rotating and situational stuff yeah it was just impressive to me to watch him against uh as, as good as he was against calgary like there was some standout plays against the uh the oilers like mcdavid gets goals 49 and 50 but so one can say well brian he had two goals how how quiet was he that night but like he he really was McDavid was pretty much kept at bay outside of, you know, a couple of, you know, goals. I think the first one Swayman probably should have had. Uh, the second one was just a breakdown four and four, I believe. But, like, there was leading up to Nick Foligno's goal against the Oilers. Like, Orloff stands up who? He stands up Connor McDavid. And the puck goes the other way. And, you know, Coyle to Foligno and the puck's in the back of the net. So, um, when he's when, when he's not scoring goals like he did last night necessarily he still plays with an edge and some snarl and he's he's in your face and he has good gap control and 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 whatnot so i think he's a i just think he's 
I, I was just really surprised that, that the Brewers added a guy like that because I just didn't – it's not something I, I foresaw coming. Like, I didn't realize that the – like, the Capitals are in a playoff spot. Like, I didn't think that they'd be selling off, like, a top pair defenseman. You don't really see that. You don't see a team in a playoff position trade away one of their top two guys. Well, you even the Oilers just traded – um the the day after the Bruins played them the oil uh, the Oilers <laughs> made a trade with Carolina um but uh, one one last thing about Orloff was that in after the first period um Sophia asked him no I, I think he this was before the second goal I think but she said you know how how is it that you've been able to have four points in four periods and he said because I'm on a good team <laughs> like basically just He's he feels like he has the ability to jump into the offense. Um, he knows that's the style that the team plays, and he knows like when you're on a pair with Charlie McAvoy, you can step in and know Charlie McAvoy is going to get back for you if you if you're a little bit overcommitted into um, you know taking a shot and, and working on the offense. So uh, I think he feels like he's found himself a really good situation where he can do some things that he hadn't been able to do in Washington this year um, offensively. And, you know, I'm sure he's a guy that doesn't look for necessarily to be the, the first guy to shoot transition and just go right towards the goal, like um, at different points. But now he has the ability to do that if he wants to, and doesn't feel like, you know, Oh, I should just like wait for Pasternak to come here and, and uh, dish it off to him. Yeah. Or- Oilers trade by with Nashville for Matias Ekholm, which, Big upgrade for their defense. And, you know, by the time someone in the West does something, it feels like it's just been all the Eastern contenders loading up. Um, but yeah, Orlov played nearly nine minutes against McDavid at five on five in that game. Uh, second most on the team behind only McAvoy. And the Oilers only had four shot attempts and two shots on goal during that time. Uh, he was out there for McDavid's first goal, but really wasn't. You know, he wasn't at fault at all. It was really McAvoy who kind of lost his gap control just by like half a step, but that's all it takes when it's Connor McDavid coming the other way. Um, but yeah, so there's going to continue to be a rotation. They will keep trying Orlov in different spots, um, figure out, you know, what works best. But wondering, you know, do you guys have, because I feel like this rotation has been a big talking point and, you know, as long as it's, Hey, it's like literally a strict rotation where it's one guy's out one game, different guy, the next different guy, the next, which is what it's been so far. So far it went Clifton, Grizzlick, Carlo. We'll see if Fort's next, but do you think anyone ends up being shelled out for a little longer at any point in time? And who do you think it is? Uh, so, Personally, I, I feel that if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, my top six is McAvoy and Orlov, Lindholm and Carlo, Forbert and Clifton. I just feel like, I feel like if you look at which what each individual skill set brings to the table, I feel like they all bring a unique skill set and something different. And I feel like Orlov can bring what Grizzlick brings, but with a little bit extra edge and a little bit extra physicality. And that's, trust me when I say this, it's not a knock on Matt Grizzlick. But if you're asking me in a playoff series, would I rather sacrifice Grizzlick's transition skills and skating skills and puck moving skills when Orlov can bring those things anyway? Or do I want to sacrifice the physicality that Connor Clifton brings you? 
or the penalty killing prowess that Derek Forbert brings you and the size that he just naturally brings you. Again, it's nothing against Matt Grizzlick, but I would I would have to sub in Orloff for Grizzlick. And I also just don't think because like Mac if you do Orloff and Lindholm, I don't think McAvoy and Carlo is what you want. So it would be McAvoy, Orloff, Grizzlick, Lin, um, Carlo, Lindholm, and Forbert Clifton for my money. And it's not a knock on Grizzlick. It's just I'm just trying to look at it analytically, like what does each guy bring to the table separately? And I just don't want to get rid of that physicality that Connor Clifton brings. He leads the Bruins in hits, or at least he did until Hathaway joined the team. So I'm not getting I'm not taking that out of my lineup if I'm given the choice. Yeah, I was on Keith's show yesterday and he was like he I I wanted to give him like, you know, he thought it was a cop out answer. I was like, whoever's least healthy. Whoever's least healthy is who you you take out of the rotation at that time. And there's going to be a point in time where someone is banged up. So that's the real answer. But if everyone's healthy, then I agree. I think it has to be Grizzly just because of where where Orlov would slot in. Um, and you're not going to be – I don't see there being a Grizzly-Clifton pair as your, as your third pair. Like that's not something that we've seen um this year really at all Scott correct me if I'm wrong I don't think that's been there at any point um this season so um it, it just so happens it that may Grizzly have is, at one point it, I can't remember um seeing them together um it's really just point remains it's not a pair that has a lot of chemistry if you if you were to put them together necessarily based on time spent in the past um it's not been a lot of time so it, it's unfortunate for Grizz like that when you add an Orlov and it's it's not a you know a depth defenseman that one of the guys in the top four is probably going to be the one that um either has to move down or move out um I would I am opposed to him sitting out for a long stretch of time. I think he needs to at least be playing once a week. Um, anyone who's coming out of the lineup as in the Bruins top seven defenseman needs to be playing at least once a week, in my opinion, unless there is that one person that's not healthy. Yeah. I think Grizzly Clifton, I think actually started last season together when Cassidy tried the forebort McAvoy thing in the top pairing, which obviously didn't work well. But I think I remember Grizzly Clifton like actually playing pretty well, but it's just a totally different kind of third pairing. Like that's you're not giving them like the heavy D zone shifts. Obviously, Grizzly's not doing forwards P well. So it's just a totally different dynamic. With you guys, I thought it was pretty telling that last night, you know, we're talking about how tired the Bruins looked, second night of a back to back. Grizzly's the fresh body who comes in and finishes sixth in ice time among Bruins defensemen. Um, played uh 1553, and you know, normally, like you, you would say, Oh, well, if there's a ton of penalties, that would make sense because he doesn't play much on power play or penalty kill. But that wasn't really like a penalty fest last night. I mean, it's probably about average, each team had three power plays, but like there was a lot of five on five play, and Grizzly still ends up six in ice time. It's like you would think you know, the guy coming in fresh would be, if anything, like the guy you'd want to lean on for more minutes and, you know, maybe help pick up the slack for other guys. So I think, and he's had a few games recently where his ice time has been down. So I think, uh, you know, Jim Montgomery's going to, to me, ice time always kind of tells a story. And right now it seems like in Montgomery's mind, Grizzly is probably seventh among the group. 
Um, do you think maybe he's banged up at all a little bit? Maybe he's in need of rest? I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, I know Sweeney mentioned on Thursday night when we talked to him that, you know, a couple guys have been dealing with, you know, a little bit banged up here and there, but I definitely don't think it's like anything serious that would cause him to like actually have to have reduced ice time. I just think, uh, you know, I think Montgomery's kind of just leaning on other guys more right now. Well, we'll also like, and, and last night was an example of a playoff caliber team that you're playing. Now I know Calgary's fighting it right now, but I'm saying like stylistically, they're big, they're physical, um, tough to play against. And that's historically the type of game where it doesn't suit Grizzly the best. And, and, and it's important to mention, like, I acknowledge that analytically, Matt Grizzlick is, like, one of the more proficient defensemen in the league at, like, five-on-five, five, you know, plus-minus and, you know, chances against and stuff like that. I get that. I really do. Um, and we wouldn't be having this conversation if the defenseman they brought in at the deadline was Gavrikov or Luke Shen. In that instance, I'd be saying, well, maybe Forbert's the guy that might be, you know, I don't know, because because it's it, it's the type of guy they bring in. Orloff brings what Grizzly brings. Like he he brings the best of Matt Grizzly. Now the analytics might be in Grizzly's favor this year, but a lot of that's who the team he's playing for too. Um, so it's again, it's not against it's nothing against the player. It's about like it's just sometimes the eye test uh, doesn't fail. And while while like Grizzly brings a unique skill set to this team until they brought in Orlov and Orlov has that skill set and then some. So that's why I, for me, he's kind of might be the odd man out regardless of how good his analytics have been, his plus minus has been all that stuff. Like you look up and down the, 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 the six defensemen um, outside of Grizzly and look at what they bring. They bring something that, that Matt can't bring like Connor Clifton's physicality, the way he reverse hits guys in the corner, the way he, you know, embraces contact and, and plays the body like Matt Grizzly no no like no effect that's not his game you need that style in the playoffs i'm not taking that out of my lineup i don't like doesn't matter to me so um it's it's it again it's is it a moot point yeah potentially because we all know the playoffs are a grind the regular season's a grind something's gonna happen injuries here there it's not a big but it's a conversation piece right um i did want to briefly bring up the other addition uh and i and i i don't think garnet hathaway's impact has been felt the way it's going to be felt. I think his first game at the garden is going to be pretty cool Thursday, but um, like one example of something that he brings to the table is the Thomas Nosek goal uh, in Edmonton. Edmonton scores a goal in the first minute and a half, two minutes of the game. And what do the Bruins do? 13 seconds later, they win a face off. They get to work down low and Garnet Hathaway out bodies and out positions Darnell nurse, who is, a big, mean, physical defenseman, and Hathaway gains inside position on him. Why? Because he's not afraid to do so, and he has the strength to do so, and he directs the puck to the, towards the front of the net, and, and Nosek ties the game one-to-one, changes the momentum of the game right then and there. And, like, little things like that is what a guy like him brings to your team, not on a nightly basis where he's going to score a hat trick, but it's the little things with him, and that's exactly why they went out and got him, one of the reasons. Yeah, and I again like same with Orlov. It's like fairly quiet first game, but you've definitely seen his impact the last two, or especially that Edmonton game. You know, maybe um, Calgary a little quieter, but uh, even that 
winning goal in Edmonton that Zach ends up scoring, the whole sequence starts with Hathaway having a hard hit on Cody Cece on the forecheck that kind of pops the puck loose. Bruins end up getting possession. It's the Bruins' fourth line out there against the mcdavid Dreisaitl, hyman line, and they pin them in, and they're stuck in their own zone defending, and the Bruins end up getting a full change to get the check line on, and the Oilers' superstars are still out there stuck defending, and they're on the ice when Zach ends up scoring, and that whole sequence starts with Hathaway and the forecheck. So, yeah, like you're seeing what he can bring. You, you see – you know, the way Sweeney put it, uh, you know, anxiety on the forecheck, like Hathaway can bring that. And I think you're only going to see more and more of it, especially as we ramp up towards the playoffs and, and get into the playoffs. I also think Hathaway's defense, I think, has looked strong. His details in the zone, he wins battles along the wall to help get pucks out. Um, he's had some good back checks. He's looked good in the penalty kill. Like, that's that's the other part of his game where it's like, this is not just – someone who runs around throwing a bunch of hits. Like he's also a really smart player who just gets it at both ends of the ice. Yeah. And I don't have much more to add because you know, that's pretty, a pretty good way to sum it up. But like in terms of energy, when you think about what he could bring potentially in a playoff game, if you are down um, there's a little bit of, of his energy that he might be able to transfer to the team, right? Like bringing up the, the intensity, bringing up the physicality. He's a guy that can spark stuff like that. Um, seen somebody like Marshawn do it in the past, just a guy that's not afraid to just have a fight or um, get in someone's face and just, you know, um, bring people into the fight. Because uh, you, you could see it at different points, like after the whistle near, near a goalie, like he's just pushing people, pushing people. And then Clifton comes and starts, put, and then like all of a sudden all the Bruins are, are in this scrum and it's just like, something to think about in the playoffs. If you need a spark in a certain game, I feel like he could be a guy for you that would do that. So um, I think before we get to a couple of um, listener questions and some league news and the landscape of the uh, Eastern conference in particular is just absolutely wild right now. Um, One final question for me, for you guys, Bruins related uh, before we get to the things I just mentioned, but do you feel like um, the Bruins are done shopping, should be done shopping? As wild as it's been the last couple of weeks, the deadline has yet to arrive. Um, what do you guys think about, about how the Bruins should handle the next few days here, if at all? Well, I think some of it could depend on what kind of news they get today or tomorrow on Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno. Because if if either or both of those guys are out longer term and – you know, say even back by the playoffs, but I think you would probably really want to add another forward who can play in your third or fourth line if if those guys are out. Um, if they're both just going to miss, you know, a game or two, that's not obviously going to be as pressing of a need. But either way, I could see the Bruins adding another forward, whether it's, you know, another, they're still overwhelmingly left shot dominant versus right shots, even with the Hathaway addition. So it could be another, you know, right shot winger. Uh, I could still see, you know, a left shot center who can maybe play wing um, being a position that they would have, they would value a little bit. You know, we just saw this most recent stretch with Nosek out where Frederick did 
a perfectly solid job as fourth line center, but he's not as good on faceoffs. And I think his ideal spot is still on the wing next to Coyle. So I could still see that being another area where they might want to add. So I could see something. I don't think they have to add, um, especially if Felino and Hall, you know, aren't going to miss significant time. But that's definitely where I would look is for, you know, another bottom six forward who can play and maybe someone with, you know, a little more pop. Um, you know, I really like Hathaway, but he's not. He can probably move up to your third line in a pinch, but is really ideally suited for the fourth line. So if they can find someone else who might be able to move up to the third line and have a little more pop in his game, like I could see, I could see that being something they look at. And this is, was this kind of brought to your attention to, or not brought to your attention, but like we had a listener question about this uh, from PJ, which said, will the Bruins consider playing the long-term IR card with Felino or Hall, um, which basically kind of referring to what the Lightning did, um, where they were kind of able to circumvent the cap and uh, put, you know, put players on long-term IR and leave money open towards cap space that could be used to make, you know, maybe add a bigger piece rather than a depth forward. I'm not sure how much the Bruins can really do with that because I'd have to look up, but the, the contracts are obviously not the same. Like they're, they're not a super high amount. So it doesn't open that much um, cap space for them as Scott, you probably have a better answer to this, but how much would that even be feasible? Well, I would say like if either one of those guys is out until the playoffs, then absolutely put them on long-term IR and go use that money. I mean, Hall $6 million, Felino 3.8. Like that's, that's real money that, that you can use. So, um, but if they're only gonna be out a week, then I'm not doing that. Like I'm not, I'm not holding them out for, you know, a month and a half longer than they need to miss just so I can use long-term IR. Like if those guys are able to return in a week, I want them playing and getting their games ready for the playoffs, not sitting just so we can maneuver the cap. But, you know, if either or both of them is going to be out four to six weeks, well, that's kind of putting you towards the side of the playoffs. And suddenly I think that cannon should be on the table. No, no, real quickly, Bridget, I was just going to say, like, I agree with Scott. I think um, it's like sometimes there's a fine line between adding what's necessary and then just adding just to add and then having too many chefs in the kitchen yelling, corner, corner, right? Like You're getting <laughs> greedy. Yeah, yeah. So, like, to Scott's point, if it's necessary, if you have the inclination that one of those guys genuinely could be uh, a little bit closer towards playoffs, then, yeah, use it for what it's worth. Um, but I just don't, like, at what point are you like, well, we could, if we, could, we could just pull up a guy from Providence if we needed, like, you know, just a depth guy. Like, so, um, yeah, that's all I wanted well, to say on that. Yeah, I would just say, like, maybe, like, one option that comes to mind is, now, Jim Montgomery already said he doesn't think Taylor Hall is serious, but or I guess like, this could really work with either one of them. But say, you know, they are going to be closer to playoffs and you decide to go the long-term IR route. Um, James Van Riemsdyk with the Flyers is a guy who it seems like is probably available and is still a good player, still productive, still scores, still can play in a third line. I like him too. Would, yeah, would currently 
I think be prohibitive for the Bruins because I believe he has like a seven million dollar cap hit. But suddenly, if you have a little extra cap space because you're using LTIR, maybe someone like that becomes an option. So you know, just spitballing. Like I have not heard anything about the Bruins being interested in Van Riemsdyk, but like that's the kind of player that kind of comes to mind in this scenario. Yeah, and and this can kind of transition into something else we wanted to talk about, which is, do you think that if Hall or Felino's out long term, or say somehow, and I don't think Hall's injury is serious based off of you know some of the things we've heard, um, but does does some of the moves that I'll just specifically say the Rangers make make you really consider doing something more like that than you might have before you saw what they did. Um, obviously they just added Patrick Kane. Um, they have a really, really formidable on paper looking forward group. Now, um, do you think that seeing that forward group and what they have makes you go, Oh, we might consider doing something a little bit bigger here. If we can use long-term IR. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I mean, like a middle six ad for me would come to mind. Like, I don't like, you're not just going to go out there and just grab somebody of Patrick Kane's caliber to like go punch or punch with them necessarily. And I, I just think like the Bruins top six is, you know, pretty, pretty similar to that of, of the Rangers. It's a little bit different. I think the Bruins like, so, so the Rangers would have what Zabinajad, Kreider, um, Tarasenko, Panarin, Kane, and, Trocheck as your top six. Okay, combat that with Bergeron, Marshan, Debrus, Krejci, Zaka, Pasternak. Like the Bruins still have Taylor Hall in their third line. So, um, but I think the Bruins forward group is more well rounded. I think two way. But to answer your question, um, not really. Like I still love the makeup of this team, and and I, for my money, it's like I like go out there and grab if you're gonna grab something. Scott mentions JVR. Okay. Um, but like, I'm still about like, like grab like that, that playoff style guy who will, you know, run Patrick Kane through the boards or take a run at Jacob Truba. Like, like you don't always want to combat skill versus skill. Cause the Bruins have a ton of skill. So go out there and find those guys that will help you in a playoff series in, in, in the dirty areas. I think they could use that still. I think every team could still use more of that. Yeah. But I don't think they yeah. necessarily need to add anything. Um, like it to, to like fully get to the, to the question. I don't think they need to add anything. Um, I think it's just, we may be elaborating too much on, on something that's not really that important um, because they seem to have it mostly covered, especially, especially because these injuries, it's not like a confirmed four weeks, six weeks situation. And I don't think based on what it sounds like hall, especially would be the one you'd be worried about being out for a long time. He did return back home to Boston midway through the road trip, but um, that was just because they knew he wasn't going to be able to play in Edmonton and Calgary. I just don't think he's going to be out long enough um, to have to concern yourself over it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, Brian used the right word, well-rounded. Like, not Bruins' better two-way forward group, play more defense, and better, more well-rounded team overall. So, yeah, the Rangers are are flashy. They're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch. But I still have questions about that team's defense. And I don't just mean, like, their defensemen, which, by the way, like, Ryan Lindgren is banged up right now. We'll see how much time he misses. Um, but I just like even team defense. I, I have questions about just how committed that team's going to be to that. Kane and Tarasenko aren't guys who want to really play a two way game. Sorry. And, and Kane is also potentially fighting an injury, which would make his transition to defense a little bit more difficult. And he's also, um, becoming like more of an older player now. He doesn't have the kind of speed he did back when they were winning cups. So, yeah, I, I I agree with your your team de- defense um, assessment. Adam Fox is obviously still one of the best defensemen in the NHL, though. But um, you know he's not going to be able to make up for for the other deficiencies. Um, we have we we have one more listener question to get to, I guess. But for now, since we already brought up um, the Rangers, I guess it just makes the most sense to t- discuss some of the other teams and what they've done and and and. Um, some of the other contenders in the Eastern Conference. So I'll just quickly run down. Tampa Bay gets Tanner know from the Predators for about 17 draft picks. Um, Toronto, in my opinion, guys, they have had a hell of a trade deadline. You, you cannot say this team is going to be soft to play against in the playoffs. They, they got rid of a couple of players that up in Toronto, they would say – weren't playoff style players like Pierre Engvall and Rasmus Sandin on the back end and Engvall up front. Those guys went elsewhere. Uh, Engvall went to the Islanders and Sandin, I believe went to the Capitals. Um, But the Maple Leafs have added Ryan O'Reilly, Jake McCabe. Is it Sam Lafferty? Either way, his last name is Lafferty. Um, Noel Achari, uh, Gustafson and Luke Shen. Like, Tampa Bay versus Toronto is going to be an absolute slugfest. And I'm telling you right now, if the Bruins were to play Toronto in the second round, believe me when I tell you, Toronto would not be um, – they would they would match you in, 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 in the grit category, believe it or not. Like, they absolutely would now. Um, obviously, we talked about the Rangers. Um, we know who the Bruins got. The Devils go out there and got Timo Meyer. So, just like, you know – who do you guys feel like has won the trade deadline so far in the Eastern Conference? Plenty of candidates. And um, are the Bruins still the clear-cut favorites, or is somebody kind of creeping up for you now? I think the Bruins are still the favorites. I still like their roster top to bottom the best, you know, in large part because they have, along with, you know, I guess, like if you want to look at Vasilevsky or Shesterkin, just insane goaltending, which I'd say is still, you know, Maple Leafs have gotten – really solid goaltending from Ilya Samsonov in particular this year, but I still have questions about what that's going to look like in the playoffs. Um, But yeah, I think the Leafs are the team that to me has had probably the best deadline of anyone Uh, just have really completely remade. I would say the bottom half of their roster. We know the top half of their roster was already elite stacked with talent. And now they have like that, they have a bottom six and, you know, second and third pairing defensemen who, to your point, you know, play more of a playoff style. I I mean, 
personally, I really like Rasmus Sandin, and I don't totally love that trade, replacing him with Eric Gustafson. But everything else they did, Jake McCabe's a player I really like. Um, Luke Shen's basically going to be their eighth defenseman. Like, that's that's solid. That's some really nice deep depth on defense that they've never had before. Um, and Achari and Lafferty, adding those guys to your, whether it's fourth line or one of them's on third line, like, really like both of those guys. Those are two guys that I think at the end of a but you know, game three of a seven game series, you just hate. You're just, if you're an op- op- opposing player or fan, you're just very annoyed with them. Um, and Ryan O'Reilly can be a difference maker if he's, you know, keeps producing the way he has so far with them, like, and as close to, you know, Ryan O'Reilly of old, like, that's, that's huge. So I would still have the Bruins favored in that series, but the Leafs have done a lot to, close that gap and to really build more of a playoff style team than they've had in the past. Yeah. And and if the question is, you know, who's done the most, like who has helped their team the most at the deadline, I think, well, Toronto's throwing the kitchen sink at it, right? They've, they've done a lot. They've just sheer number of players and assets moved was a lot for them. But I think you could argue that each of the teams got better where they needed to get better um, in terms of contenders. Like I think most of these teams didn't leave trades on the table and went for, went for, you know, Patrick Kane and, and, um, or, you know, the Bruins fixed what they needed. They added you know, a depth forward and they added a, a defenseman for, you know, to, to be there in case they get injured, because that has been something that's happened to the Bruins. It seems like every season. So, um, all, every team did something to make themselves more dangerous because they had to, because they knew the rest of the teams in this conference at the top were going to be making their own moves and going all out for things. Um, so I think every team became more dangerous over the last week or so when trains, trades started coming through in terms of Rangers, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston yesterday. And this is what I was referring to, Scott. Um, Edmonton traded uh, Play RV to the Hurricanes. Um, I don't know if you guys think the Hurricanes have done enough, but some of those other trades that we were talking about, those teams all did make themselves stronger in areas they needed to. And it feels once again like the Hurricanes maybe just aren't they're being conservative and they're not they're not able to add what they've maybe needed to add. Now there's still time, but they might have they might be a team that is waiting on it on something to to come together. But if they don't do anything else, it's it's they're having another unsuccessful trade deadline. You you read my mind, Bridget. That's that's exactly because you were mentioning like all the teams are keeping up with the Joneses because they know that they have to, except for Carolina and their $10 million in cap space. And and while there's still time, Jesse Pugliarvi is not the guy that's putting them over the top up front. We've talked about it. They're good on the back end. Like, bringing in Chikrin, which I think they might still be linked to, it makes no sense to me. They already have a phenomenal back end. Like, they need to add up front unless they want Chikrin to play center. Um, but, like, yeah, Scott, like, what What do you think of Carolina? Like, what – why – you know, do they – you know, do they think – are they on a high horse? Like, do they just – like, because, Bridget, you say that there's still time. But, yeah, that's true. But look at all the guys that are off the board now. I think they – they're one of these teams that – 
kind of has the reputation of like they always have to win the trade. And I think that gets you in trouble this time of year where if you're not willing to kind of go above and beyond what you're really comfortable with, like you get caught as, you know, the last person at the dance. Like you're it's you can't have that mindset this time of year. You have to look at what you're going up against. You have to look at what's cost you in the past. Last year, the Hurricanes went conservative, only added Max Domi, and it wasn't enough. They had a really good team that got knocked out in the second round by a Rangers team that just straight up did more than them at the deadline and improved more. And it's like now you look at what the Rangers have done this year and the Devils getting Timo Meyer, and it's like you wonder if that's happening again. Now we're recording this, you know, Wednesday just before noon. There's two days to go. But I don't know, like, who that big name is. Like you said, Chikrin, to me, that's adding to an area that's already their strength. Like, I really felt like they needed a scorer, especially because they lost Pacioretty. Um, I'm amazed that they weren't more in on Bo Horvat. Like, they were barely linked to him. I'm amazed that they backed out of the Timo Meyer sweepstakes. Like, I look at what New Jersey gave up, and I'm like, what part of that was you know, unpalatable for Carolina. Like what part of that was like, Oh God, we can't go there. I didn't, I didn't think the devils gave up. They gave up a lot, but I didn't think it was like anything crazy. I thought that was a pretty reasonable trade. And by the way, the teams that uh, Kane goes to like, you're, you're talking and, and Meyer, like you're talking about Carolina's direct competition. They're not going to play them likely in the first round of the playoffs, but they're either more than likely they're either getting the the Devils or the Rangers in the second round if they make it out if they make it to the second round. So now you're playing against teams that made those moves that that you probably should have made um, and added guys like on offense that you probably should have or maybe even did but did target but didn't want to give up enough for. So you're looking you're looking at those guys not only just not going to your team now you have to play against them. Yeah, and 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 the the Rangers, for one reason or another, already had Carolina's number before they acquired Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, and like, and and Scott, you made a comment earlier, and I agree with you by the way about how the Rangers are more of a flashy team right now. But the Rangers also have they do they have those guys too that that have the grit. Like they went out and reacquired Tyler Mott, who they had last year for a playoff run, had to let him go in the offseason to bring him back in. They have Barkley Goudreau on a, now situated with the additions of Tarasenko and Kane. He's no longer playing up in the lineup. He's back down in the fourth line where he should be. Um, they have Jacob Truba, who's a physical guy. They have Ryan Lindgren, if he's not hurt, who's a physical guy. Yes, they have Adam Fox, a Norris Trophy candidate, more a little bit more flash, but the Rangers have that grit. So Carolina, it's like you're, if you're Carolina, you're staring down – you know, where things stand now, they're playing either Pittsburgh or the Islanders, I would think, in the first round. Um, they'd be playing the Islanders. But, man, um, I I am ecstatic for if, – if this is how the, the playoff structure plays out in April and you have, you have Tampa versus Toronto, you have uh, the Rangers versus the Devils, like, oh, my God, like, just wow. Just absolutely wow. Um, so it's going to be really, really fun. A lot of good stuff happening there. Um, it's, it's hard to remember yeah. like a trade, a, a trade deadline that's been like this for the Eastern conference or just in general, a year where the top six teams have been Eastern conference teams. And like, 
this this conference is just all eyes on the Eastern Conference playoffs is what it feels like to me. I mean, like, if you look at – so in the East, you have Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, um, Rangers, Devils, that's five, um, Hurricanes, six, okay? You have six teams in the Eastern Conference of the eight that – Basically, any team besides the non-wildcard teams, or the wildcard teams, and by the way, the wildcard teams have Sidney Crosby on it and Evgeny Malkin and that championship pedigree. Um, but all the non-wildcard teams in the Eastern Conference, not one person would bat an eyelash if either one of those teams won a Stanley Cup this year. Then you go out west, and you have the defending Stanley Cup champions, which if Colorado's healthy, they're just as good, if not better, than the other six teams I just mentioned in the East. Um, you know, and then it drops off a little bit in the West. Like, you know, Dallas, I think is really good. I think they lack a little bit of, little star power potentially. Um, they've been, they've had a quiet deadline. Um, Vegas has tried to add a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Yes, it is very East heavy Bridget, but the West has that one team that could challenge everybody. And until you knock them off, they are the, 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 the cream of the crop. The Bruins are the best team in the regular season, but they're not the defending champions. Yeah, I was trying to think of like the last time I can remember a setup like this. And like what I came up with was, was like the Western Conference in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you had, you know, the dynastic Red Wings, the Sackic Forsberg Avalanche, the Madonna Stars, the Pronger McGinnis Blues, like where you had like those teams loaded up. And then it was like kind of just the Devils in the, on the Eastern Conference side. It, it, like it does. Like that's kind of what I came up with of, of a comparison where it's, you know, to your point, like one conference just totally loaded to the gills and the other, like you're kind of just expecting that one team to find a, find a way to get back there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's rough. It's rough if you're the Bruins. It's like you're having this historic season and it just so happens to be at the same time as a, a historically strong conference. Um, you know, finishing first and, and avoiding one of those two, three matchups is huge. Like we've said it before, as loaded as these six teams are, the Bruins don't have to beat the other five. They only have to beat two. So, um, you know, let, let them all beat each other up, but yeah, it is, it is going to be incredible to watch. And to that point, Scott, like that's exactly right. Like as good as the Rangers are on paper right now, the Rangers have to win two rounds before the Bruins even see them in the conference finals and the Bruins have to take care of their side of the bracket as well. But to your point, you're right about that. Um, but to what you said kind of sucks for the Bruins, this historic season and, and it's a historically strong Eastern conference. If I'm the Bruins, I'm sitting there saying, good. If we're as, if we're that good, we should be able to beat these teams and there will be no asterisk next to the 2022, 2023 Boston Bruins. Like they were the, they were the best team historically one of the best teams of all time in a regular season and went through historically one of the best conferences of all time. Uh, and then, you know, whoever the Western Western conference champion, it, it would be, if it was Colorado, I mean, Jesus Christ, like the Bruins would just might want to fold the franchise after this year. Cause it wouldn't get much better than that. Um, so yeah. Bridget, did you have any closing thoughts on the, the Eastern landscape before a few listener questions? This kind of relates, but this is something I saw that Andrew Raycroft tweeted yesterday, which was that um, there's only, there's 22 games left, right? So um, in order for the Bruins to have the all-time NHL record for wins in a season, they'd have to finish out 16-6. and six. Do you think they can do that? Yep. 
I think I so mean, too. I, you know, I don't think it's it's not a primary goal for them to get that record. Brad Marchand said as much last week, but yeah, that's obviously well within their reach. Um, you know, it it is crazy. Like you, so you mentioned like twenty two games left, and I mentioned earlier they still have five back to back. So it's like almost twenty five percent of their remaining games are the second you know, second night of, or second day of a back-to-back. Um, but yeah, I think we can, uh, we have, I think we already covered a couple questions, but we have one more. This was from listener Jeff. Um, we actually sent it over like a week ago and you know, we just haven't had a chance to get to it, but asked who we think uh, might win the seventh player award this year, which I know Nesson has started uh, promoting, uh, you know, voting during recent games. So um who do you guys think? Who's your leader in the clubhouse right now? Bridget, ladies first. Ladies first. Okay. So I actually had to think about this for a sec because it depends really how people want to define seventh player. Um, so first of all, Swayman won it last year. Um, and he's not a horrible candidate again this year, but I just don't think it will go to him um, just on this team and also having won it last year. But when you think about guys who have like the seven player award kind of goes to a guy that's overperformed. Um, and I think even though Jake DeBrusque is on the, the first line, so technically not necessarily like if you don't want to look at it that way, it's like if you're saying first line and first D pair, no, he wouldn't be the seventh player. He'd be on, he'd be on the ice. He wouldn't be the, the next guy in, but that's not really how this is usually looked at. It's, you know, he's not one of their three best forwards. So is he the next guy? Yes, I think Jake DeBrus has had a really good bounce back season. I think symbolically it would be nice for him to get it because of the way that things went for him last year um, and to just reward him for the kind of season he's had. I think seventh player award makes sense for DeBrusque. Um, I, I think you could also make a case for, once again, Lindholm could be your seventh player or you could look at him as one of your top two defensemen in that he wouldn't really be eligible for it. And then also based on points um, and uh, a little bit of overperformance, potentially Pavel Zaka, potentially David Krejci, but those would be the the guys that I would look to. And I, I lean towards it being DeBrusque. All, all good suitors. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Like you could look at Lindholm and say just how valuable he's been in particular the first month plus when there was no McAvoy and he had to shoulder those those clear-cut number one duties. Um, but that more so speaks to me in like more of like a MVP type category rather than a seventh player award because especially after watching him the tail end of last year, we all realized how good Lindholm was and is. So for me, I'm not going Lindholm. Um, I'll just like Trent Frederick is somebody who – could merit some points. Um, I know not a lot of people were expecting a lot of Nick out of Nick Foligno based off of last year. So when you're having a season like this, there are so many eligible candidates. Connor Clifton, I mean, he has had a phenomenal year. To cut to the chase and then not name all the players in the roster to save some room for Scott, um, my answer would be um, Pavel Zaka, whom you mentioned, Bridget. I just think he's come in here and not a lot of Bruins fans knew who he was. Um, certainly didn't know how quality of a player two-way he was. He's already exceeded his career high in points for a season um, through through only, what, 60 games this year. He has, where is he, uh, 60 games. He has 15 goals, 26 assists for 41 points in 60 games. I think his previous career high was like 
32, like 35 points in like 72 games or something like that. And going forward, they assign him for an extension for four years. And you can just see him being a top six fixture for this team for quite some time. So um, in the essence of the exceeded expectations, I would probably give that award to Pavel Zaka this season. Yeah. So like Nesson's, you know, official listing says uh, Boston Bruin has performed above and beyond expectations. And then later says, you know, seven player award is given each year to the unsung hero of the team. Um, yeah. Th- you're right. Like there are so many candidates. Like I hadn't even really thought of DeBrus because in my mind, I was like, he was on the top line last year. Like I think expectations are already high, but it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like technically if you're going through, like who would be the sick, you know, like, your top six, it's like, okay, well, that'd be Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, Lindholm, McAvoy, Elmark. It's like, well, yeah, I guess Jake DeBrus could be the seventh player. Um, but I feel like had he not finished last year so strong, I think he'd like be the overwhelming favorite because he did. I don't know that he's necessarily exceeded expectations so much as kind of met expectations that had already been readjusted. Um, I'm with Brian. I think Zaka would be my leader right now just because like, you know, you trade for a guy who's had, you know, a somewhat disappointing career in New Jersey hasn't, really found his game and you think he's, you know, eventually going to settle on your third line at some point. And he's been a great fit on your second line with Krejci and Pasternak. And like Brian said, already a career high in points, a lot of big goals, including these last two games, you know, winning goal in Edmonton, tying goal in Calgary. He seems to have a knack for coming through in the third period. Um, He would probably be my pick, but I don't think you could go wrong with Frederick or Felino. Like, I think those guys are going to get a lot of votes. I kind of get the sense that Felino might end up being the winner because I, I feel like a lot of fans are going to gravitate towards him. You know, obviously he's gone from like being the biggest disappointment to being one of the most beloved guys on the team. I think everyone, you know, loves his press conferences, loves the way he plays, loves, you know, the uncle Nick persona, like, I think a lot of fans are going to flock to Nick Foligno for this vote and he would probably be my prediction to win it. But my own pick, I think would also be Zaka. To, to just add a little bit more to the DeBrusque thing. I know like this year he was like not expected to be good, but like, I think this year you really see his full transformation, um, which it was, you know, part of a continuation from last season, but um you know, it was still a question mark. New coach comes in. Is he going to play better under the new coach? Like, um, and it just shows like his, this season, he's had some really big goals and his character has really shown through. Whereas last year, people were, were on his case about wanting a trade. Now you see how far he's come this season in terms of (laughs) he was not going to get the seventh player award last year uh, because he was, below any of those candidates where what people would have thought um, for a big portion of the season, or at least the first portion of the season. Um, And that this year is kind of just almost like he, he just has this fresh new look to him. And I don't know. I think he's a good candidate for it. Felino. I think you can make a case for most of the guys on the team that, because a lot of them have overperformed. I can't think of really any that, I would say underperformed um, at the very least people are on par with what you would expect, but most of them have exceeded those expectations. So it's 
not really like there's some guys that you can't even consider. So Polino is a very likable guy. Um, but I guess it's kind of just open for interpretation, how fans want to look at it. That's one of the things when it's a fan vote, people look at it through different things. Felino is very respected and liked. Um, I don't know. It, it could go any way. And I feel like Zaka is kind of an underappreciated candidate. So I wouldn't like, I wouldn't think that he would be the favorite to win it just because I feel like I still hear people talking about him. Like they don't really fully understand a lot of people outside of like the really strong fans don't really completely understand his game. I don't think. I mean, for a, um, I mean, Felino is a great story. I think if the Bruins win the cup, it's going to him second after Bergeron. Um, it'd be a really cool moment, but for me, it's kind of short-sighted because of last year. Like if, if you're looking in the grand scheme of things, he's a former captain in this league, former 20 goals, perennial 20 goal score. I think like that might be a, a fun vote for fans because of the recency bias of last year than compared to this year. But if you're actually breaking down, like who's made such a strong impact. And I mean, Zach is like what six on the team in points. So um, I think that would probably make the most sense, but what do I know? Um, I know we've gone a little long today. We, we didn't get a chance to record as frequently the last five days because of the late starts out in, in, um, in Canada and um, whatnot. But um, so thanks for bearing with us. No pun intended. Do you guys have anything before we, uh, before we sign off here? Fashion segment. I, when I was watching the Calgary flames game, I need to get your opinion on the flaming horse or whatever <laughs> that Jersey is that Calgary was wearing. <laughs> Scott, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I've never been a fan of that jersey, and I'm still not. So um, I will say – so I wasn't anticipating a fashion segment, but I will say that the jersey that I really love is that Canucks alternate that they wore, the throwback to, to the 90s with uh, Pavel Burry. Their, their black, red, yellow scheme with the flying skate and all that. That that one I love. Flames, never really been a fan of that design. Yeah, the, the the Canucks one was sharp. The flying skate's a classic. Uh, Bridget, to your question, like, um, you know, I'm, for me, it's, do I think it's the greatest design? No, but sometimes um, yeah, nostalgia and sentimental value trumps the actual visual of it. And for me, when I see that jersey, it reminds me of, like, being, like, eight, nine years old playing NHL 03 with uh, Jerome McGinley on the cover with that jersey. So uh, I've always had a soft spot for it and and pretty much a soft spot for all those 90s third jerseys because just I grew up on a lot of them. So um, I like the nostalgia factor, but conceptually it's not the greatest design. But uh, anywho, um, thank you for bringing that. I, it's always it's always good to discuss jerseys. You know that's, you know that's my kryptonite. So. I know. I know I could get you to stay on longer if I just brought up a fashion yeah, segment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go from an hour, an hour 20 to four and a half hours. So let's, <laughs> let's pump the brakes there. But yeah. Uh, other than that, did you guys have anything else? No, no all no. good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Continue to send us um, any questions you have regarding the, the trade deadline or the, the push to the playoffs and, and beyond. Um, this is a, this is the best time of year. So, Send us any questions you have. We'll discuss them uh, every episode. Um, but until then, keep keep listening, and, and we appreciate it. So have a good day.